0: and welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us at Appleton and Stevens Point, and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. This morning, I want to do a quick uh, update on our Go Beyond campaign. Our goal to raise $1.2 million. And uh, we are incredibly close, $1.1. So uh, appreciate you hanging in there with us and continue to give at your different campuses and stuff. Also, uh, we have an update about. From our missions uh, giving, this is once a month we take a special offering uh, just to help people to advance the cause of Christ in the world. We do it in lots of different ways. Uh, We support orphanages, we support missionaries, we support ministry outreaches like uh, Jimmy Bratcher going into prisons and stuff, all kinds of things that we do, uh, putting in wells for people who don't have, just loving people in the name of Jesus and sharing the good news with them and ministries all over the world. It's really kind of above and beyond giving, everything else. In a way, we benefit from, you know, when you give, you help pay for the seats and the lights and everything else. But when you give the missions, you know, that's, man, you're really giving. Uh, I promise you, there are gonna be people that you will meet in eternity who will come to you and thank you. And they will say, my life was changed because you helped support somebody who shared with me about Jesus or brought food to our village or whatever else like that. This is powerful stuff. This is what the Bible talks about when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And our giving up is, is up dramatically in this area, thanks be to God. Year-to-date last year was $14,000. Year-to-date this year, $40,000. So rather dramatic. And God bless you. Continue to stay strong in that. And let's continue to grow. Give, and it will be given to you. Uh, quick announcement. We're doing a, a series starting next week. I'm not sure how long this series We'll go two weeks at least, four, four on a roll, but uh, (laughs) it's entitled Sex and Marriage. Now, this is not a (laughs) how-to series. If you don't know how to, and we get done, you still won't know how to, all right? Now, if you're concerned because you have younger ones here, uh, you know, we do have age-appropriate classes for them. People say, well, they like listening to me. Of course, because I'm beautiful. I understand that. <laughs> and, and I have no problem with them staying here at all. But if you have a problem with it, then make sure they go to one of the age-appropriate classes. You know, in my opinion, they ought to hear about this stuff. Say Amen. And in a good way. The church doesn't want to talk about these things. Ah, and then the world is giving them all the bad information. We should be giving them the right information. And really, to be honest with you, we're all so jacked up ever since we quit being an agrarian society. It used to be everybody was lived and raised on a farm. You're on a farm from the age of two. You're seeing everything do it. <laughs> Cows, frogs, chickens, pigs, man, they're all going at it. You know, what a big mystery. You've been, been on a dairy farm? Good Lord, it's, it's a brothel for cows. <laughs> you got a hundred cows and one very happy bull, and they're just constantly keeping these creatures impregnated because that's where they get milk. We all grew up knowing this stuff. It all made sense. Then we all got away from farms, and I was, like, oh, how do we talk to them? And everybody's scared to death about it. So... Anyway, you have been warned. (laughs) All right. Might want to invite your friends. It should be rather entertaining. Uh, This morning, I want to do a a very simple message. This is very, very simple. It's about how ways that you can, what am I trying to say? Encourage people to learn about God in your life. Introducing people to God and winning them to Jesus. We're supposed to be winning people, influencing people into the kingdom of God. Y'all get that, right? All right. Uh, most Christians, sadly, do not do it, or they're not very successful at it, which is what we're going to talk about today, or they're fearful, and we're not going to talk about that, but uh, uh, we're supposed to, you know, if everybody listening to me right now, all you guys in Appleton and Steven Spawn here in Green Bay, if you made it your goal to influence one person in your life to start coming to church with you, this church in a single year, would double. That's a dramatic thing. We're a congregation of about 3,000 people. That would jump to 6,000 people. The next year, we would have 12,000 people. Everybody just trying to affect one person. Of course, we're not anywhere near those numbers because most of us don't really affect much of anybody, either out of fear or just not very good at it, which I'm going to talk about this morning, or whatever. We need to reach out to people now. One of the things that's essential to encourage someone to come to church with you is that you actually come to church. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's kind of hard when you go to church like once a month, or, you know, just when the weather's lousy, which is like here. Just got back from Florida. <laughs> Man, was it a shocker last night. Oh, my goodness, horrifying. What is this? But, uh, so anyway, we should be reaching out and affecting people. And I, I'm, I'm, I know I tease you guys that come to church when the wind's blowing the right direction, which is a whole bunch of you. You know who you are. But I'm being serious. It's kind of hard to affect someone to come into your life into a faith thing when you do it casually yourself. If you make this a continual practice, you'll find that it's easier to draw other people into your continual practice and watch their lives be transformed for eternity, all right? Three very uh, quick scriptures I want to read to you. Matthew, the 10th chapter, Jesus said this, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents. Now, serpents can be dangerous, harmful things. But they're very smart. He says, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. What he's trying to tell his believers is, be smart. Everybody say, be smart. Be smart. You're supposed to be smart. You'll be a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to change the world? You got to be smart. Everybody say, be smart. be smart. All right. The next verse. Luke, the 16th chapter. Now, Jesus is telling a parable about this guy who's a manager. He finds out he's going to get fired, Okay. So this guy handles the accounts for this big, rich guy. And he quick starts adjusting the accounts of all the customers and cutting them all kinds of slack so that when he gets fired, they'll all love him. So And it works. And the manager finds out. You think the manager be ticked about it, but the manager was impressed at what a scoundrel this guy was. And Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus says this, for the people of this world, talking about people not of faith, the people of this world are more shrewd, they're smarter in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Sometimes Christians are incredibly incomprehensibly stupid. So the next verse is, don't be stupid. Everybody say, don't be stupid. stupid. All right, so be smart. smart. Don't Don't be stupid. All right, third one. We're on a roll. Paul the Apostle's writing, and he gives this whole list of how he does whatever he has. He makes whatever adjustments he has to make to influence somebody into the kingdom of God. And it gets to the end of the list. We pick it up here. He says, To the weak, I became weak, so I could win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. So now it's be flexible. Everybody say, be flexible. All right, be smart. Don't be stupid. Be flexible. You want to win somebody to Jesus? That's how you do it. You got to be smart. Don't be a moron. And be flexible. All right? Now I'm going to give you a book report today. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, I picked up this book, big old Yo Mama book. And, uh, and I, I just devoured this book, and it was fascinating. It's called To End All Wars written by a guy named Adam Hushlyld. Uh, Anyway, um, fascinating book about World War I. Uh, If you're into war movies and books and stories, this this is fascinating, because he really gives a play-by-play how the war started, how it was fought, the battles, the uh, tactics they used, the uh, the, uh, body counts and stuff. Now, it was a crazy war, Now what it was in World War I, it was the German people were ticked off and everybody else around them. And they had reasons for it, some of it made sense, some of it like really chill out. Uh, And actually, most historians will tell you that World War II and World War I were really the same war. Uh, They did World War I, there was kind of a big pause, and then they came back with World War II and really kicked it up a notch. But It was the same deal. In fact, literally some of the same players a lot of the guys who were in the trenches in World War I, 20 years later, whatever it was, were in charge in World War II. And uh, so they're all fighting and stuff like that. So it starts out, uh, the Germans come in and they're, they're just torqued at everybody. <laughs> Don't make them mad. I have a German wife, I'll tell you all about it. But anyway, so uh, they got really mad, so they come in and they decide to invade. So the first country they hit is like Belgium, and that falls like, and, an hour and a half, you know, Belgium, you know. Not a, God bless the Belgian people, but not big on armies, all right? So they crush Belgium right away, and they come blitzing into France. They don't get very far, because the French people come fighting back, and the English them, and they're fighting back. And then they have what is, in essence, a four-year stalemate. They build these trenches. And over four years, they would move the line, sometimes as little as feet, hundreds of feet, one way or the other, back and forth, at incredible cost of human life. Now, these generals, and actually the book actually speaks kindly of these generals. I think they're morons. I think they should have all been arrested and shot, to be honest with you. Uh, In fact, if a general did today what these guys did, they would have been arrested and shot. They would march men in by the tens of thousands and watch them just get blown to smithereens. The, the death toll is beyond anything you can imagine. And you got to think, what general, what leader sends 10,000 men into a field, they all get mowed down, sends another 10,000 the same day, and they get mowed down and orders another 10,000 men the same day, and they all get mowed down. I mean, people freak out Today. And nobody likes casualties, I get it. But the war in Iraq, you know, you know when they hit 1,000, you know, it was, oh, 1,000 casualties. Really, more people than that in America die accidentally in hospitals. Seriously. We don't have any kind of tolerance for what these kind of wars were fought, I promise you. Of course, this is insane. And these guys fought these brutal, brutal wars and were terrible uh, because they wouldn't adapt They wouldn't change. These generals were so intense that this is how you fight, and this is how they fought the battle, all right? They decide, we're going to attack in this spot. Now, what they would do is they would drop shells. They would fire big rounds, because they're trying to blow up all the barbed wire and stuff. Of course, you can't blow up barbed wire. It just shakes, as all happens. But they kept dropping all these bombs and stuff like that, and we're talking a million shells. Sometimes, in some accounts, they would drop two million. Can you get that number in your head? Two million bombs. Eee, boom! Um, 100,000 would be a bad day. Now, of course, all they did was make huge holes, which now their guys had to go through. <laughs> because they dropped all these. And by the way, as many as... down to 15% of the shells never exploded. To this day, every day in Europe, in Belgium and in France, along that line, farmers trip across their plow, hits one of these things that works its way back to the surface, and get blown to smithereens. We're probably talking somewhere in the, I think what the last year said, 150 or 250 people a year, still to this day, die finding these bombs are kids finding these bombs in the field. Take they have a whole group of people. That's all they do. Full-time job. To this day, this was fought in 1914 through 1918. To this day, still they have people full-time fighting the shells, trying to get them out of there. That's how many rounds they would drop. So they would drop all these rounds. Of course, the enemy, where do you think they're going to attack? Well, they dropped all the rounds. So they're ready for this. So these guys come now. It's almost impossible for them to move. It doesn't do anything to the barbed wire. They still gotta try and fight their way through it. And they ran into what was a new thing. It was a machine gun. And they, would, they discovered that the machine gun, if you would set right at, at angles, were highly effective at killing people. Uh, at first they were shooting at people dead on, but it wasn't that effective because you could put a bullet through someone else and then you know, then it goes into the trees. If you shoot at an angle, the same bullet that hits one guy could kill maybe three. And they're coming in and they spread it out. And these guys would drop like flies by the tens of thousands at times. It was unbelievable. You would think these generals would get a clue, but they never got a clue because they just couldn't change their mind. This is how you win a war. This is how you win a war. And the whole time they were doing it, the plan was just to clear out enough area so the cavalry could charge through. They were still thinking like you know Napoleonic days. The cavalry—they had these all these huge horses and all this stuff in the back, waiting for these guys to clear enough so the cavalry could charge through to great victory. Even after the war was over, some of these generals still bemoaned, "We just never got the cavalry involved." If the cavalry, we just got the horses involved. They couldn't change the way they thought. In fact, these same generals got mad when they started calling mechanized units cavalry units. That's that's for horses, that's not for machines. I mean, they just wouldn't change. You would think, I don't know, you stick your hand in a blender and it gets torn up. Let's not do that again. But these guys wouldn't change. Now you gotta hand it to the men that fought these. When you watch 20,000 men before your eyes drop and it's your turn, I'm pretty sure you know what's going to happen to you. And nonetheless, they marched straight forward and just got obliterated. It was horrible. Oh, I mean, the, the book's really rather graphic. Yeah, I understand. Like in movies, when somebody shoots somebody, oh, they fall over, they're dead. That's not what happens in real life. You don't hit a vital organ, and most of them aren't. You fall down and you bleed out. So they would write and talk about after... 10, 15,000 men have been hit, and all the moaning and groaning is all slowly bleeding. I mean, it's brutal. And they go on and on. And what they discovered was you would think they would have known this from all wars past that the strongest position in any war is the defensive position. The defensive position, now they've always known this throughout centuries. Even to this day, now the difference is technology has changed, especially if you're an American soldier. God bless those guys. They've got the best training and backup in the world. They still, when they go out, they find the defensive positions, they call in the airstrikes to take them out. Nobody's running them. You know, it's like even Normandy. They, thousands of men died as they were trying to come against these defensive positions. It was brutal. Better than World War I, but even that was brutal. But that was a nothing day compared to World War I. I know we don't think about it because most Americans, we weren't part of World War I until the very end. But it was brutal, it was horrifying. And they wouldn't change their tactics. They just kept coming. And finally the Germans started changing their tactics. And they started moving forward. They looked like they were gonna win when the Americans showed up. And of course, I'm at the end going, yay! <laughs> you know, and of course, Americans show up. You know, there's one thing about Americans is we tend to think outside the box. The world has always referred to it as Yankee ingenuity, you know. An American will look at it and go, Well, that's stupid, let's do something else, you know. And and these guys wouldn't do it. So we came and 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 they read a part in the book where they were running, everybody was falling back. And uh, they said, uh, you know, retreat, retreat. And the American said, retreat. And I quote, Hell, we just got here. So that's they just kept, you know, why are you retreat? Where you go? We just showed up. But they started doing things differently. They didn't drop a million shells to let everybody know where they were going to attack. They thought, well, let's just attack. (laughs) And they would use their brains. They figured out the Americans, God bless America. The Americans would figure out, they would listen to when an enemy position would fire their rounds. And by using the sounds, they could triangulate where that sucker was. And then they'd blow it up. Gee, boom, instead of just dropping a gazillion, these guys wouldn't think. They wouldn't change. The discipline to do what they do is impressive. The stupidity of what they did is beyond comprehension. The Americans show up, they start flanking, start doing stuff that none of these guys ever thought of, and the Germans are freaking out, and then they throw their hands up, and there's the big pause in the war. They say it's, they surrender, but it, all it was was a pause until World War II came around, and then they fought the same war, and the same big mess happened all over again. My point this morning is about the defensive position. Uh, and this comes to talking about sharing your faith. When you start to share your faith with someone, it takes almost no time before they will present to you their strongest defensive position. And it will vary wildly. To some people, it's, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's a God. Well, many Christians have been taught, like the general morons of World War I, that what you do is you got to attack the strongest position. And we've had classes forever and still have, and I think it's good from a sense, you know, how to talk to a Muslim, how to talk to an atheist. And I think you should get all this information and stuff, but my advice is don't attack their strongest position. Use your brain, because Jesus told us to be smart. Say, be smart. smart. Don't be stupid. be stupid. Be Be flexible. Flank those suckers. Come at it from a different way. I meet somebody and they tell me, I don't believe there's a God at all. I just go, wow, that's fascinating. I don't pull out how to overcome an argument with an atheist. Because it might sound, you know, God's not dead one and two, but it's not going to change anybody. You've got to find another way in. Be smart. Don't be stupid, be flexible. <laughs> well, uh, somebody, said, yeah, I, I think we all evolved here. You know, we all turned into monkeys and fell out of a tree into a business suit. That's how we got here. <laughs> when I know Christians, they would pull out how to overcome the arguments about evolution and attack them. Really, how's that working for you? You're just going to get blown to pieces. Thankfully, they don't have a machine gun, or you'd be dead. I'm going to swing anybody arguing with them, debating with them. That's not what faith is about. Somebody gives you the strongest position, go, okay, I know where it is. And outflank them. Figure out another way in. Somebody comes and says, I don't care. You can have sex with 500 different people if you want. All kinds of immorals. I say, You can marry a cat, a dog, and a frog. No, no, the Bible says, really, zip it, skippy. They gave you the strongest position. Don't attack the strongest position. Only an idiot attacks the strongest position. Read the book. (laughs) You flank them. You find another way in. Now, one of the most powerful ways in, first of all, just become friends with people. Be nice to people. They love this man. In my life, as soon as I found out I'm a preacher, man, (laughs) All I get is a ah, you know ah, I think this. like oh that's lovely. <laughs> I don't attack it at all. Why? I'll get killed. I find another way in when they're not looking. <laughs> Love people, be kind to people. One of the most effective things you can do is to pray for people. But I'm not talking secretly praying. I mean, find out something in their life. They might say, I don't believe in God. Somewhere, some other time, some conversation, you know, I don't know, our, our daughter's been really sick. The doctors can't figure out what's wrong with her. And say to them, what do you mind if I pray for her? Almost nobody turns that down. Now, they don't believe anything's going to happen. They say, oh, yeah, okay. They might even tell you they don't believe it. It doesn't matter. Let me pray for them. You know what happens when God shows up and starts turning that situation around? That changes people. They have been outflanked. God shows up. But the problem is a lot of us get fearful of so trying to be winning. Some of us we're afraid to let God loose in people's lives. And I got to confess to you, at times I have done that. And uh, I'm sharing all this because a f- few weeks ago I got an email from a lady. And, uh, and I get emails from people all over the world long stories. And I just, oh. first of all, if your email isn't more than two, less than two paragraphs, I ain't reading it, all right? Unless you let me know at the beginning, hi, pastor, I go to church at Celebration Church. Then, then, then I feel guilty and I have to read it, all right? <laughs> but, but, uh, otherwise, I don't read it. I, I'm not obligated to be the pastor of the world, straighten everybody out. I would go crazy. Good Lord, I can't straighten out half of you people listening to me right now. I got to straighten everybody out. So I see these things. I just, Diane's got to answer them. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't deal with it. We, just, we get virgins are crazy like you cannot believe. So I get this email. and For some reason, I started reading it. And of course, she starts right out with saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm living with my boyfriend and already I'm irritated. All right. I don't know what she is. I just figure she's some Christian that's acting like an idiot because everybody's got their version of, you know. I know the Bible says, but I'm a lot smarter than God version of life. All right. So, she's telling me, she's doing it, and I go, oh. and she says, I'm pregnant. And I go, oh. and then she says, uh, I'm really sick. My liver's failing. I got, she lists all these problems, which I don't understand half of it because I don't know what they're talking about. And then, and then uh, she says, they tell me if I have this baby, I'm going to die. What should I do? So I said, you know, this, this isn't the kind of thing you send to a stranger. You know, I, I appreciate that you, you look up to me. But go talk to your pastor. And she emails me back and says, I don't have a pastor. I'm an atheist. And I'm thinking, well, why are you writing to me? You know, but I, you never know how God uses things. So I thought, well, you know, go to like a right to life group, you know, because they have these crisis pregnancy things and they can help you out and give you so I, I told her about that she says I never heard of such a thing they're all over the country how have you never heard about such things? thing she says oh I'm not from America where are you from I'm from New Zealand I go wow. New Zealand I don't know what the heck they got in New Zealand so I, I said are there any churches in your area she says I don't know I suppose I said well, why don't you try and find a church and go and talk to that pastor because I'm <laughs> I'm trying to get out of this, is what I'm trying to do. So she says, okay. So she just goes online and Googles a church. Thankfully, she finds a crazy church like ours. And uh, so she sets an appointment, and she she lets me know, I I found this place online, they look like I have an appointment, I'm going to go see this pastor. I thought, well, praise God. So she goes to this pastor, and uh, the pastor hears her story and says, let me pray for you and we're going to pray that God will heal you and do a miracle in your body. So she writes me back and said, well, I want to talk to this pastor. He prayed for me that I would be healed. And my first response was, oh, no. I'm, telling, I'm confessing my sin to you. Because sometimes as we just get off base, we forget what this is about. We think it's about this, that, or the other. At the end of the day, this is about God changing people's lives. She's an atheist in big trouble. She reached out to me because she saw me talking about marriage and life and stuff and thought I was a funny, very handsome man. <laughs> I'm not sure about the last part, but at least the first part. first part. So she says, I go, and this guy said he prayed for me to get healed, so I'm going to go to the doctor tomorrow. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Did I even tell you I think I wasn't? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. So she writes, a day later, she writes back and says, I went to the doctor and he, they were shocked. They said, There's absolutely nothing wrong with me. And I've been completely healed. <laughs> of course, I now feel about that big. And this woman becomes a devout Christian. You see, at some point, At some point, we don't win people with our arguments. We win them by God showing up in their lives and turning things around. Don't be afraid to pray for people. Anyway, she just sent me an email, picture of the baby was born. And uh, and of course, the heathen she was with, he got saved. Why? That's pretty impressive, right? They're two atheists. I don't believe in God. The doctor says I'm going to die. All of a sudden, she's healed. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> How do you argue with that? They both become devout Christians. They've gotten married. they got this little baby. All because someone had enough courage to pray for them. Now, they could have come in with all their arguments on why, and atheists are wrong, and believers are right, and all this. But you never get anywhere attacking the strongest position. At some point, we have to remind ourselves we need to pray for people. And here's the thing, is I was thinking about this, because I felt bad initially. I was glad that God was able to use me to point her in a direction that this could all happen in her life. But I had to really have a come to Jesus moment in my heart and say, man, I need to get more bold about praying with people and not being afraid. Because if you stop and think about it, there's no way you lose. Even if nothing happens, they're touched because you cared enough to pray for them, it's a win-win either way. Pray for people. Let them know you're praying. For. Find something that they wouldn't think. You know, they're just moaning about their lives. Everybody's got a lot of kind of stuff to moan about. People that don't know Jesus have a list of things that some of you do know Jesus got a list. But I mean, there's some. Find out that list. That's how you flank them. You come around. You pray. You're concerned about somebody. You reach out to somebody. Paul wrote about this. He writes this. He says, "Our gospel came to you not simply." With words. It's not about the words and something. You got to know something, but it's not about the words. He says it came with power. God would show up. You read the Bible, the way that Christianity spread like crazy, it says exactly what they did. They came to believers, unbelievers, prayed for them. God would heal them, God would change things, circumstances would change, and they became believers. Don't be afraid to let God show up in people's lives. Live this thing out and be bold. Say, Pastor, how do I, you know, because sometimes people go, Pastor, I met this guy, such and such, how do I overcome that argument? Don't try to overcome the argument. When people, let, God, let the gospel power show up. The Holy Spirit, the deep conviction Paul talks about. That's what changes people. Where's Pastor Joe? Is he here? Or did he backslide? <laughs> he's on vacation? Oh, he's watching online. He sent me a text. He reminded me. He says, "Remember that guy? We were in uh, we were in Holland, right? And uh, we would go out witnessing at night in the red, dot, red light district. Okay, it's kind of like, you know, a barn but with people. Uh, anyway, and uh, to go back to my original analogy, somebody what a barn? I don't understand it. Prostitutes. They were prostitutes. Okay, so so the, so we would go down there and we we go witnessing. And, we'd, and of course, you know, the pimps." got really mad, really mad. They don't like this. They were really, really mad. And this guy comes out, and he looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, he's built, he's good-looking, he's a (laughs) driver. He comes with a gun. He intends to shoot us, because he's had it up to here with us showing up. He comes into the meeting. He comes into the meeting. We're singing, we're celebrating Jesus. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit hits this guy. He falls on his knees and bawls like a baby, turns his life over to Jesus, and then he joined our group. He did. We took him with us when we went to the red light district because that was very comforting. Yeah. You go to a dangerous place, you want John claude Van Damme with you, you know? seriously, the guy was a karate expert. The little kids would come over, the little five-year-olds, hey, watch this, he take big bricks. And, hey, yeah. and I'm going, oh, man, don't get that guy mad, you know. But it was cool. And he just loved Jesus with all his heart. There's all kinds of ways of flanking people. Pray for them. Let the presence of God touch them. Be nice to them. I'll end with this story. Most of you heard the story because i only got so many stories. <laughs> But uh, it's the witch story. You guys remember the witch story? Some of you, this is new. This will be exciting for you because it's new. Or as if some of you have heard this. But we were at a conference in Dallas, and I'm talking to this lady. She's just going, buck, 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 and she's just going away, talking to her little, buck, 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 just as she can be, and uh, and I'm talking to her back, and that that was the conversation. I'm not sure we said anything. Just that was that noise that was coming out of our mouths, and uh, and. And at some point, she says, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And I usually wait for people to panic, you know. And uh, she goes, oh, really? I said, what do you do? She says, I'm a witch. <laughs> really? Not, I don't know if you really would normally lead with something like that. <laughs> I mean, if you're a witch, wouldn't you keep that on the down low? You know, like, I'm, uh, in my spare time, I'm a witch. No, she's a front. I'm a witch. I'm a witch. She's a part of the wicked Witch Organization, the whole deal. And all I could say was, are you a good witch or a bad witch? You know, she didn't think that was particularly funny. But uh so you know, but she's a nice witch. And she said, And then she says, Would you guys like to have dinner with us tonight? And I freaked. I panicked in my mind, and my mouth said, Yes. <laughs> and she, oh good, and then she told us she took off. And I went, ooh. And I turned around to our guys and said, guess what? We're having dinner with a witch. And they said, really? I said, yeah. How come? Because I can't shut up, you know? So I'm, ah, sure, you know. So so we go to the steakhouse with the witch and all the little witchlets. It's, or, they're not witchlets. What do you call them? Other witches. It's not like she gave birth to them. They were like other, other witch people. <laughs> I don't I don't know why you people come here. So, anyway, uh, so we're hanging out with the witches and we're laughing and just like, and this lady kept staring at me. And finally, at some point, she says, Can I ask you a question? I say, Yeah. Uh, she says, How come you're not mean to me? I said, What do you mean? She says, I've never met a Christian who wasn't mean to me. Because, what do we do? We find out their defensive position and we assault it. Rawr! Let me show you why the Bible says you shouldn't be a witch and about the stuff about witchcraft. All the Bible, I'm a president's Of course, you never win. Maybe you feel better about yourself because you got all your talking points out, but you don't attack people with their strongest position. Never met a Christian that wasn't mean to me. I said, oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm sure they all meant well and we were just really nice to them. And at the end of the dinner, I said, hey, why don't you come listen to me tomorrow? Just maybe I will. So I'm doing my deal. and I looked out and there's the witch. There weren't any witchlets. I don't know where they showed up. But they, the, the witch, the main witch was there. And I'm doing my thing and I get done. This lady runs up to me, tears streaming on her face. She grabs me and says, you make me want to become a Christian. And she ran away. I lost track of her. I don't know if she ever became a Christian or if she's still a witch. I don't know. But I do know this that you don't attack people from their strongest position. Let them make whatever crazy, strong, defended, I'm a this, that, or other that they want and just smile and be nice and learn how to flank them because we're supposed to be smart. Don't be stupid, be flexible, all right? Learn how to come around people's objections. Splash God on them. Pray for them, love them, be kind to them. Some of my best friends are really nasty people. <laughs> they are. They know who I am, but over the over the time we went. Someone takes years. We've had someone took them years before they finally became a Christian. Just some people have really got some strong defensive positions, <laughs> you know. But just keep flanking them. Don't go after what they hang on to so tightly. We gotta be smarter. We gotta avoid stupidity. <laughs> we need to be flexible. That's my message for today. All right. And let me say this to you. Some of you here, you're you're not devout Christians. You've never really. We're going to pray together in a little bit. Let God prove himself to you. He is wonderful. He is powerful. He is life-changing. You say, well, I feel completely lost. He can find you. Say, I'm so far down. He can lift you up. Say, I'm terribly sick. He can heal you. I feel totally abandoned by everybody in my life. He will not abandon you. Put your faith and trust in this wonderful God we're talking about. Watch what he can do in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth and your grace. Help us, O oh Lord God, to love people. Help us not to feel threatened by people or feel obligated to attack them when they give us their strong defensive thoughts in life. Help us to be smart. Help us to be flexible. Help us to learn to flank around these things and just love people and splash God all over them. They may not want to get in the pool, but we can sure get them sopping wet. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen.